Knowledge is the fuel that powers intelligent buying and selling. So get a quick recharge with me, Ron Edwards, Master Sommelier and Director of Wine Education for Winebow, Fine Wine, and Spirits. Welcome back to WineSmart. This is a special episode, actually four parts, of an interview conducted with Jacopo Poli of the Poli Distillery in Veneto, where he tells us all about grappa, how it's made, why we should love it. The Poli family has been in Veneto since 1400. Jacopo Poli is a master of distillation and sensory analysis of distillates. Together with sister Barbara and brother Andrea, he carries on a tradition and an objective to make people understand and appreciate the hard work, tenacity, but above all the love that is required to create a great distillate, a total love for one's own craft, one's own world, a love without which greatness cannot be achieved. This is episode one. So great to have you on the podcast, Jacopo. Just a, such a thrill to chat with you, and I just love that we get to have a tradition together. What tradition are we about to enjoy? You know, Ron, I'm having my daily rasentina, which is the most traditional way to enjoy a sip of grappa. And it's truly a ritual. Uh, we, we cannot miss one daily rasentina here in Veneto. Uh, it's very simple. First, you enjoy your espresso, your coffee, and then you put some drops of grappa and you slowly rinse the cup. Uh, so you clean the cup with just a few, few drops of grappa. And uh, the coffee foam, the sugar melt with grappa, and the aroma is enhanced by the warmth of the cup. It's really pure pleasure. In my opinion, it's even better than a dessert. And this, I, I think, is the perfect way to enter this conversation, this journey into the world of grappa. Agreed. Chin chin. Salute. Oh, that's delicious. I'm not sure which one you used. Uh, I used what was in front of me. I had the Elegante, which is the uh, Pinot Noir grappa. I hope that's not the, the wrong decision, but it was really tasty. Excellent decision. I'm having the Pomorbida from Moscato. Nice. Well, I almost chose that one thinking, you know, that aromatic pop from the Moscato with the bitterness of the coffee, that'd be great. But I was like, eh, I'll go with something subtle. They works very well. So let's talk about meeting grappa, because I think a lot of people that are listening to this haven't really experienced much in the way of grappa. So let's introduce them. What do you think? Yeah. So grappa, let's say, first of all, is a distillate. So, and precisely is the distillate of the grape mark or pumice. Uh, that is what is left after pressing grape and making wine. But if you let me, I would like to start this journey into the world of grappa with uh, a bit of geography, uh, telling you where we are, because this is very important to define the true essence of this spirit, because grappa is a truly an Italian distillate. And it is originally from Italy. And then and it can be produced exclusively in this country. As a matter of fact, the term grappa is a, a geographical indication and is protected by the European community. And this means that uh, in order to use the name grappa, the grape has to be cultivated in Italy and distilled in Italy. Awesome. Okay. So is there an origin to the term grappa? Like the historical meaning? 
Yeah. The name grappa comes from the Venetian word graspe, which means a grape mark. Uh, as a matter of fact, grappa simply comes from grape. Grappa is made distilling the skin of the grape, and that's where the name comes from. In the old days, uh, uh, the way the harvest was split uh, was very simple. Half of, the, half of the harvest was given to the landlord and half was given to the farmers. But when it came to grape, uh, the wine was uh, reserved to the landlord, the owner of the land, and the skin were <laughs> given to the, to the poor farmers. And these farmers uh, found a way not to waste these skins because they were still rich of aroma and a bit of alcohol. And they found a way, very, a very simple way, they decided to distill the skin of the grape, thus obtaining an alcoholic beverage that was meant to be drunk in wintertime to warm up in the very cold winters that we have here near the Alps. And that's how Grappa was born. That's amazing. And I, so many great things in the world are born out of uh, rustic origins. And I think that that's great because it's the resourcefulness of humans that bring these things to us. And, and then we get to enjoy them for the rest of uh, human existence. I want to clarify something for those listening. When you use the term grape mark, um, wine is made from grapes and those grapes, sometimes they have the skins, they have the seeds, they sometimes even have the stalks in the fermentation tank. When you draw the wine off to then finish aging it, what's left behind, the seeds, the skins, etc., that is the mark. That is what people are then going to take and distill into, in Italy, grappa. Um, is grappa a brandy? All grappas are brandies. Uh, but let's say that not all brandies are grappas. Brandy somehow is a generic uh, name uh, that means a distillate or a spirit. You should uh, specify the, the raw material from, from which the brandy was made. Uh, so you can have, uh, for example, a wine brandy or a pear brandy. In most cases, uh, these brandies uh, have a specific name like uh, cognac, whiskey, rum. So in the case of grappa, we have a grape mark brandy. Yeah. So grappa is a brandy, but not all brandies are grappas. Right. And basically, an alcoholic beverage made from fruit that is distilled can qualify under the name of brandy. But this is a very unique process because instead of taking the, you know, the, the pure form of that distilled beverage, the apple wine and turning it into Calvados. This is uh, this is a really neat upcycling process, which I think is uh, something we need to talk about. This is a, a, a kind of a modern term, the idea of upcycling. It's when, you know, in, in like the arts and crafts movement, they take stuff from a resale shop or things that were designated to be thrown away and they turn them into something useful and beautiful like a piece of art or a new piece of furniture, or they take scrap cloth and make clothes out of it. That's that's our modern term of upcycling. So I think that what we're talking about here is the beverage equivalent of the ultimate upcycling because you have what was going to be thrown away and now we turn it into this, this amazing, elegant beverage. So talk to us about how we get from the spent materials of grappa to grappa and then what happens afterwards. 
yeah, for sure we can say that Grappa is part of the modern circular economy process. But that is uh, from the very beginning, since ever, because Grappa, as you were saying correctly, is a, a, a way to upcycle the what is left after pressing grape and making wine. And uh, for many reasons, Grappa is a, is a green and sustainable nature. In fact, the Grappa is uh, obtained from a raw material that uh, uh, cannot be used for nutrition differently from other kinds of spirits uh, like cereals uh, because it's made still in the grape mark. Uh, so we enhance the leftover of the winemaking somehow. After all, uh, its origins, which date back to the Middle Ages, are linked precisely to the intent of waste nothing. And from the distilled pumice, it is possible to create other products, uh, including the grape seed oil or the precious tartaric acid, also natural dye, and also combustible briquettes, and finally feed and fertilizer in a kind of virtuoso cycle that originates from the earth and the return to the earth. Uh, there are many other examples of circular economy and grappa. For example, did you know that grapes' stalks are also used to produce electricity and therefore thermal energy? So nothing is wasted. We often say in Venetian, grape is like pig, nothing is wasted. I don't know if there is a similar way of saying in, uh, in, in American. No, but that is, that is a beautiful comment. My, you know, my father grew up in an, an agrarian family. He, he was the son of a, a sharecropper for many years of his young life. And that's the way they lived. Nothing was wasted. Everything either came from the earth, returned to the earth or fed them. And if it wasn't going to feed them, it was sold to somebody else. And um, I totally respect uh, those efforts because we're all better off this way. And, and grapes are very unique in that regard that coming out of the fermentation vat from making wine, immediately you don't have a use for them other than perhaps composting. But this gives them a whole new life in multiple levels. It's very, very cool. Yeah. So grappa is truly um, the result of a combination of climate and culture, a kind of a rural culture. In the, in the north where grappa originated... Uh, the climate is, qu is quite cold and not, not anymore nowadays because of the global warming. But in the past, uh, the climate was um, quite rigid and that was the reason why farmers had to find out a way to warm up in the very cold winters. Uh, furthermore, their culture, yeah, they, they didn't want to throw anything away. They had to find a way to take advantage of what Mother Nature was giving to them. So it, it's, this is the combination of factors that uh, brought to the origin of grappa. In our modern time, um, many of us, not all of us, there are certainly people who are subsistence living now, just barely getting by in many countries. But in our, in our developed countries, it's hard to imagine uh, the world where if you threw something away, you might not eat well, you might not survive. And uh, we also don't register so well with the 17th, 18th, 19th century reality that alcoholic beverages were part of your caloric intake. They actually helped keep you alive because they were calories. Um, and certainly grappa falls into that. You know, would you take a moment and define 
for us the variations, the types of grappa that people need to be aware of if they're first meeting grappa? <laughs> you know what? Uh, people usually talk about grappa, singular. But in my opinion, grappa is dead. It does not exist anymore as a singular uh, entity. Grappas, plural, do exist. Not only one, but many kind of grappas, depending on several factors. Uh, first of all, the grape variety, the steel that, that has been used, the freshness of the mark, the vintage, the aging, the style. So there are many uh, factors that allow to create uh, a, a multicolor uh, spectrum of, the, of different grappas. So the main difference depends on the grape variety because each grape gives a different kind of uh, wine and a different kind of grappa too. Mother Nature uh, somehow likes uh, to play with grape. No other fruit can compete with the aromatic complexity and variety of grapes. And the aromatic elements of the grape are mainly captured in the mark and uh, they constitute the primary aroma of the grappa. That is why it's a, it's a great experience, in my opinion, to taste and compare the differences among a grappa of Moscato, Merlot, Amarone. You were having now your Rasentin with Pinot. I'm having my Rasentin with Moscato. That's what makes grappa very interesting, uh, to compare the different style, the different uh, nuance uh, among the uh, different grape varieties. So you can have... Uh, for example, grappas obtained from a cuvée of uh, different grape varieties. That is the case of Sarpa, in our case. Or you can have a grappa obtained from the mark of a single variety. Uh, can be Moscato, can be Pinot, can be Merlot, and so on. But grappa can also be classified according not only to the grape variety, but also according to the aging and possibly also according to the infusion. Uh, so we can have a young grappa, the so-called grappa giovane, that remains in stainless steel tanks after production till the bottling. Or we can, have, we can also have uh, an, an aged grappa that uh, rests uh, for at least uh, one year or even more in wooden barrels before bottling. And last but not least, the grappa can be obtained with a natural infusion in with some botanics like chamomile or honey. In that case, the botanic is placed in infusion after the distillation. And in this way, the distillate is enriched with the original properties of these herbs and fruits. So we can, we can say that we have three main categories of grappas. Young grappas, aged grappas, and grappas with natural infusion. And then, uh, depending on the grape variety, you can, you, you can have grappa from a specific grape variety or uh, a, a cuvee, a mixture of different grape varieties. Totally makes sense. And I love that delineation. And it harkens back to my first experience with your grappas, which is now many, many years ago. Um, and in front of me were your beautiful glass bottles. And I thought, wow, this is not the grappa that I met last year. 
So it was nice to meet Jacopo Poligrappa. And in front of me was Moscato and Vespaiolo. And that was the first time I really got it that the distillation of these individual grape varieties uh, didn't wash away the original flavor. It actually intensified it. It like, which makes sense. That's the whole point of distillation is to take something and concentrate it, right? And it was such a beautiful experience to see that in that particular style, um, it carried through beautifully, just like if you're going to infuse with herbs. And uh, I think that if you haven't had a single grape varietal grappa, you might miss that nuance because when we blend like sarpa, you do have grape character coming through, but it's very much like well, how does that Bordeaux blend specifically taste like Cabernet Sauvignon? It's part of it, but it's not the exclusive. And I think those are very different experiences and a, and a really great thing to walk through as an individual. Anything else you want to talk to us about that you're like, hey, here's what I encourage you to do when you first meet Grappa? First of all, I would say not to be, not to be afraid because very often people are uh, a bit... Uh, afraid because of the old-fashioned grappas that uh, landed in the States. Uh, sometimes they were uh, f- aggressive and pungent. Uh, that is no more the case. Uh, modern grappas are extremely elegant and uh, I would say even sophisticated uh, in the sense that uh, they uh, truly represent the quintessence of a grape. So a modern grappa is a grappa that reflects the characteristics of the grape. The grappa we want to obtain today is a grappa that uh, captures in a glass uh, the floral and fruity aroma of the grape. Grape is, is a fruit, and before being a fruit, it was a flower. So a good grappa should simply have a nice aroma of flowers and fruit. Nothing more, nothing less. So that's what we've been trying to do in the last 40 years. And I think we made a big step ahead in this, in this uh, direction. So uh, grappa is a very interesting spirit. It's really nice, I would say, to compare different style, different grape varieties, uh, and uh, try to uh, detect the differences, uh, trying to de- describe this uh, aroma. Sometimes it's not that easy, but it's a very interesting, interesting, intense, and emotional experience. And and we're going to share that experience. So make sure that if you're listening to this one, you tune into the next three. But I also wanted to point out to anyone listening that in the show notes, you're going to find a link to a video that shows you telling everybody how to make a racentin, which is awesome. I had to follow that one to make my own today. And uh, the other is that there'll be a link there to the kinds of grappa that, uh, that they can explore. So if this went by a little fast, they can review that online. We're going to end this episode and head on to the next episode of History of Grappa. So make sure you download that one next.